Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Todd Maisel is not a cop, but his Subaru Forester is basically a police cruiser. I have three scanners built into my car. Three? Yeah, three radios. Are they doing different things? One radio is devoted to fire and EMS, and the other one is cops. And then uh, I like to listen to the local precincts, so I know what's going on wherever I am. It's not just the radios. Todd's got flashing lights on his roof, a little desk inside with a laptop on it. But it's those radios that let him do his job. He's a news photographer. When he's in New York, he's basically chasing the NYPD by listening in. That must get cacophonous in there. You know, it's something you get used to. Because of these scanners, Todd's shown up at a hostage situation in progress. He's arrived at the scene of a drowning before emergency workers were even able to pull the victim out of the water. He used the scanner as a guide on September 11th, too. He took this one photo that day that I've returned to again and again. It's a disembodied hand lying on the pavement. The nails are neatly clipped. The pointer fingers extended. There's litter all around. A square of Hershey's chocolate, a bunch of cigarette butts. Most important picture that I took that day. Why do you say it's the most important? Because it's not, it's unsanitized. It's the truth. It's reality. It's, it's, could be anybody's hand. Nobody, we never identified who that was. Uh, and it had humanity in it. And what I was impressed with was the editors who were at the desk in the Daily News used it. Why? Because it was important. You don't minimize terror. Transmitting unsanitized information is what's really important to Todd. It's what keeps him racing after all those radio transmissions, day after day. But Todd is worried he's not going to be able to do that much longer. Welcome back to Inside City Hall. The NYPD recently began encrypting police radios in Brooklyn, effectively blocking the press and the public from communications it has long had access to. News organizations. The NYPD recently announced they'll be shutting their public scanner frequencies down. They've already started in Brooklyn. Mayor Adams has defended the move, saying it will keep the NYPD one step ahead of the, quote, bad guys. The police say this is about modernizing their system preventing pranksters from interrupting their work. And it's not just New York where this is happening. Sioux Falls, Baltimore, Omaha, they've all started to encrypt their scanners. Todd, though, he worries this move is about keeping people like him out. There are some stories, he says, you just would not know without scanner heads like him. Take the case of Eric Garner, the Staten Island guy who died in a police chokehold in 2014. Cell phone video of Garner repeating, I can't breathe again and again, 
became a flashpoint and a rallying cry. But without a police scanner, it's possible no one would have heard Garner's last words. One of Todd's colleagues broke the story after staying up late listening to his scanner. So he was on a night shift and he heard a cryptic message uh, over, over Staten Island frequency. And it didn't sound right. They didn't specifically say that he that this guy died in a chokehold, okay? Um, they'll never say that. And so he went out there and he was able to locate the witness. The witness had that now infamous video. The Daily News bought it, and the rest is history. If you wait uh, two hours, three hours, you're going to get there, the tape is going to be gone, the, the witnesses are gone. It, it's going to be too late. What do you plan to do with your police radios once the system's all shut down? Are you going to keep them, junk them? Yeah, I might put one or two in my uh, in my little display case where I put all, all my old cameras. <laughs> there'll be antiques, there'll be uh, boat anchors, you know. <laughs> they, they'll be useless. You sound angry, but you also sound sad. I feel betrayed. Today on the show, cops around the country are making police scanners a thing of the past. In the end, who does that help? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Like photographer Todd Mazel, Adam Scott Want is a professional radio bug. But he doesn't drive around the city in a souped-up car. He's a professor at the John Jay School of Criminal Justice, where he specializes in law enforcement technology. So when police departments around the country started trying to shut down their public scanners, Adam was the guy to call. He left his own scanners behind years ago, but he still remembers the system he rigged up as a teenager when he'd monitor the little unit he picked up at Radio Shack. Does it still kind of blow your mind that you can do that? Like, you could just buy a machine at Radio Shack and, like, all of a sudden have this superpower of knowing what's happening where? I'll tell you what blows my mind. What blows my mind is today you no longer need the Radio Shack or the device. People are using their cell phones with apps that allow them to listen to police, fire, EMS, a whole bunch of different radio frequencies. There are radio-defined software kits sold on Amazon, which allows 
just about anybody to listen to or transmit on almost any frequency that most people would be transmitting on. Hmm. Does that make you feel like, oh, wow, my club got a lot bigger, or does it kind of freak you out? You know, what freaks me out is understanding how much confidential information goes over police, fire, EMS radios, how much personal information goes over these radios. And given the fact that a lot of people listen to them, it does freak me out a bit. Can you give me an example of why having these scanners be publicly available is bad? Like, what's the best argument here? Give me an example of something that went wrong. One is a very famous bank robbery that happened in California, where uh, bank robbers went into a bank with heavy armor and heavy weapons, monitored police frequencies. uh, And when the police eventually respond, they had a quite horrible firefight. Um, And we've seen trends of burglars and robbers uh, monitoring police frequencies on a regular basis when they are going out to commit crimes. Um, and in that category, I could also put people that use them to avoid DUI checkpoints, drinking and driving checkpoints. And we know through uh, social media that people use free uh, police radio frequency scanners to figure out where the DUI checkpoints are and then post them on Waze and other social media. The criminal element worries me. Uh, I'm worried about the police officer showing up on scene to an armed criminal with a weapon knowing he's showing up and knowing how many officers and where they're coming from. That seems straightforwardly bad. It's very straightforwardly bad, and it happens. This isn't stuff from sci-fi. This is stuff from the news. Rarely. I'll admit to that. But it happens. Um, But the more common thing that worries me um, is the private information that's put out that I wouldn't want other people knowing about a family member of mine. Would I want the public knowing that the police were just called to a family member's house because they were a victim of a sexual assault? And would I want that information being put out to the public to hear? Would I want my uh, family member's home address put out on the radio? Would I want, in some cases, uh, maybe even their name uh, as a witness or a victim being put out over the radio? The NYPD has actually gotten pretty good at securing private information. Uh, We're actually lucky that the NYPD is so large because they're able to really um, devise protocols and strategies to help victims. Uh, But that's not the case throughout most of the rest of the United States. Yeah. Can you take me back to the beginning? Like, when did law enforcement start using radios for police work? You know, if, if you think about it, you watch some of these old movies before law enforcement had radios, before there were even telephones. Um, you know, police were walking around with literally whistles. They would have to relay messages through yelling or through whistling through different stations. The whistle would just be like, you'd call other police officers that hear a whistle. They'd be like, oh, got to go. That's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. Uh, And how it was blown and how many times it was blown had different meanings. And when radios and electricity first came out, you know, they weren't portable at that point yet. So, you know, they were first installed in the police precincts. Like precinct to precinct. Precinct to precinct, yeah. And then eventually uh, phones became more ubiquitous. Phones started to be installed, um, you know, throughout, you know, urban homes. Uh, And with that, people were able to get in touch with the police easier uh, and police were able to dispatch easier. And then eventually we were able to replace the whistles with radios that police were able to carry out. 
Was there always tension around how the media and the public accessed the radio waves? There should be tension. I, I think that the tension is something that is legitimate and it's real. And from a police officer's point of view, it's an operational security risk and a risk to their very life and safety. Uh, the, the media was always monitoring police radio frequencies. But when it comes to journalism, when it comes to bona fide media, the media plays an oversight role in our society that's incredibly important. You know, I think journalists are key to keeping the public informed, having a transparent and accountable police department. And when I think of journalists, I really think of them in a whole other bucket than the public. So much personal information goes over these radios that, that I, I feel uncomfortable that the public listens to it. Adam says one solution could be for lawmakers to make some rules here about where and how police scanners can be used. But the NYPD and other police departments are finding it much simpler to do what they're doing now, encrypt their radios. I asked Adam when this transition started. This started um, in at least the 1990s, if not before. But what the police did were, while they were going through and upgrading their radio equipment and going from VHF to UHF to ultra high band frequencies, while they were going through and, and upgrading everything, they started encrypting what's called side channels. And side channels could be like a tactical operational channel for the SWAT team. Or it could be a channel that's used for car-to-car or officer-to-officer communications where a little more privacy is needed. So they started encrypting side channels. And then over about the last decade or so, many police departments across the country have started encrypting their main dispatch frequency. And that's where the public and media have started to ask questions. Yeah, how did that start? How did that public encryption push begin? You know, from my point of view, it started with a random reporter here or there from very small towns calling, asking questions. Um, their local police departments were doing this. Had I heard of this before? To you directly? To me directly. Yeah, to, to me directly. I don't even know how I got the first call, uh, but the calls just started to increase to the point where I decided to at least pay some attention to this topic given the trend that I've seen moving across the United States with larger and larger cities now wanting to encrypt their communications, um, it worries me from a transparency point of view when it comes to media access. After the break, what might be lost when scanners are encrypted? Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. 
This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. And it would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back. The funny thing about this push to encrypt police communication is that it's happening at a time of remarkable openness when it comes to information about neighborhood crime. Like Adam said, you do not need a scanner these days to listen in on the cops. You can just download an app. And a whole lot of people have. You know, I think that a good example, there are many examples of apps for mobile devices that allow the public to access police radio dispatches or information on crime. Um, Here in New York City, the Citizen app is a really good example. One of the things that studies uh, or a very specific study has shown us about Citizen app is it doesn't make the public more safe. It makes them more paranoid. Um, And that's something we really have to keep in mind. The in a city like New York or even a smaller city, crime happens regularly and crime happens on uh, on a predictable basis. Law enforcement's really good here at going out and combating crime, but it happens regularly. And if you're monitoring your neighborhood of hundreds of thousands of people on citizen app or other radio dispatching apps, you're going to hear a lot of crime. But that's normal. It's statistically um, probable that it's going to happen regularly. It's going to fit certain patterns. But getting the public access to this information is shown not to make them safer. It makes them more paranoid. Um, So some apps allow people to see what's going on in their community and discuss what's going on in their community. Other apps will allow them to hear the radio frequencies, uh, dispatch frequencies directly. They can go and select the police department or EMS or fire agency they want to hear and then get a live feed directly of that radio frequency. You know, police have said part of the reason they're encrypting communications is to stop pranksters. And a photographer I spoke with did tell me that during the Black Lives Matter protests a couple years back, he was listening in to the scanners and realizing protesters would often take over the airwaves and, you know, play music, do something to distract. Is that a real problem? You know, it actually is. And it's odd that it is. Uh, It's odd that you can go on Amazon.com, buy a $55 radio, Get it home, go on to YouTube, learn how to reprogram it to transmit, and then transmit directly over police radio frequencies. So that's an actual problem that does occur. And I'm on Amazon.com right now looking at the radio, and it's $55. And that's all it takes to tamper with police communications these days. 
I definitely think there are a lot of pressure points which would convince the NYPD that encryption is a good idea. And I do think encryption is a good idea. However, I also think that there are very simple ways to accommodate bona fide media and the press, and that the NYPD, especially in a city of this size, should be setting a good national standard and ensuring that they don't lock the press out of those radio frequencies. Yeah. I mean, the guy, the photographer who I spoke with, he made the point that basically there are some stories you simply wouldn't know about without journalists having access to the police frequencies. He talked about Eric Garner, how he knew the guy who'd secured for the Daily News the videotape of Eric Garner saying, I can't breathe. And of course, that became a rallying cry after he was killed for years. What do you think might be missed if at least some people, maybe not the full public, but journalists don't have access to this information? You know, there's going to be a lot of photojournalism that's missed. Uh, We could start there. There's going to be a lot of photojournalists out of jobs. If photojournalists can't get to where the news is happening at that moment, they're not going to be able to record it and the public is going to lose significantly out on it. When it comes to police transparency and accountability, we know that occasionally things happen that need to be rectified. Eric Gartner's great example. There are tons of other ones. Having the media have instant live access to news broadcasts where they could be on scene when they need to be on scene, where they could be taking pictures telling the story as it occurs, it's an incredibly important part of our democracy, and it could be eliminated very quickly by police radio frequency encryption. In your ideal world, what does access look like to these encrypted channels? You know, here in New York City, we credential the media. We have NYPD press access credentials that go out to bona fide members of the press who meet a standard. That makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but it works really well here in New York City. That press pass could also come with credentials to a website, to log into a web portal through your phone or computer. And then that web portal could give the media access to live radio frequencies directly through the NYPD. And then when the media Um, the the press person no longer has a press pass, those credentials could be voided or removed. So there's definite ways to do it. There are easy ways to do it. Um, I suspect that the transmissions already are going over IP or computers. Building this system would not be too difficult. And it would give the media access to live broadcasts where and when they need it. As an observer... Something that stands out to me about this back and forth over police scanners is that this transition to more encrypted communications is just kind of happening without a lot of public debate first. The public debate is coming after the decisions are being made. The politicians, the public, they don't seem to have any say here, really. Is that a problem or is that just how this works? 
electric vehicles is one of the only times in recent history I could think of us proactively regulating a technology. Uh, automatic driving vehicles like Tesla, we're very proactive about, and Waymo and everyone else. When it comes to all other technology, we're usually very reactive. And the reason half has to do with our uh, background as capitalism and our uh, ingenuity as a country, we allow our society to build new technologies basically without regulation, and then we figure it out later. So we're very reactive when it comes to these types of issues. And I think it's okay for a legislative body to be reactive so that they're able to pass laws that are complete and that are able to speak to all different angles of an issue after we figure it out. Once we get these technologies understood better, then we're able to pass laws that are able to regulate them better. And I think that's why reactive legislation is so used in the United States. Assuming New York does have its police scanners go dark, how do you think that's going to influence other places? I know you've said for the last decade it's been like one town after another gradually building up to maybe New York City. If New York City goes dark, what happens everywhere else? They'll follow, and they'll follow rather rapidly. While this has been a trend going on for quite some time, make no mistake, the NYPD is the leader in law enforcement. When they set trends, other departments use those trends and those protocols um, as their reasons to come along, and they will. So when the NYPD goes dark on their radio frequencies, expect to see a significant exponential increase in the number of departments that you see. Uh, it's going to happen nationwide rather rapidly. Adam Wan, I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Adam Scott Want is an associate professor of public policy at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Todd Maisel is a visual journalist and a contributing editor at AM New York. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. It's our membership program. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to find out all about it and sign up, like right now. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall 
and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. And it would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back.